<laughs> Would have been nice. It's supposed to be a serious podcast. You got me laughing about cheese fries and Diet Coke. Wow. That's because I thought we were going to be on the same page where it's like, okay, start, you know, and I'm walking in. Hey, guys, I'm pulling cheese fries out the purse. <laughs> oh, man. What's up, guys? Welcome to episode 48 of the All That Podcast. I am very excited about this podcast. Um, I feel inspired. Like I feel, I feel inspired. I feel hopeful. All of the above, and the main reason is because when I look at like the protests around the country, and I see the images on social media, or I see images on the news, when I look at the protesters, most of them don't look like me, which is something that I that probably has never been done in a in a march or a cause for you know a quote-unquote black problem right if you see, you see marches you look at the civil rights march you see majority black people you know when black people were marching for you know Trayvon Martin or Freddie Gray or Alton Sterling or whoever you know still majority black but something about this time is different and the majority of faces I see are not black which makes me excited and which makes me hopeful. So today I wanted to invite some of my friends and on the podcast to talk about their experience and their viewpoint as a white person um, living in what we're going through today. And everybody knows my co-host is white. <laughs> <laughs> she is white also, so she will be able to you know, have a perspective on this conversation also. So today I have... Madison, I have Mackenzie, I have Leah, Hello. and I have Brent. Hello. How are you guys? <laughs> doing great. I'm wonderful. Yeah, I'm doing well. So I want to start with Madison because Madison has is going to be like, she should be in history books like 50 years from now because she did something oh, God. that, seriously though, because you did something that I don't think anybody you know, would have thought we would ever see. So let me give y'all a little background, right? So there's this place <laughs> and I don't want to talk about, I'm not talking down on your hometown. I'm just giving a little, you know, historical context here. You're fine. Go so ahead. <laughs> there's this town in Texas called Viter. Viter, Texas has a very, very, very racist past. And it's one of those cities that everybody in the, across America knows about for that very reason. Like the Klan's prison was very heavy. And it was something, you know, I'm from Port Arthur, which is in the Golden Triangle. You know, Beaumont, Port Arthur, I have family in Jasper, all in that area. And, you know, growing up, you would always hear these stories about Vider. Like, you do not want to go through Vider. If you're going through Vider, you know, drive straight through. Like, don't stop. Don't look. You know, none of that. Just go straight through. So Madison <laughs> organized a protest in Vider, Texas, in which over a hundred people showed up. Now go ahead, Kelly. One thing I want to say, <laughs> not to interrupt Madison yet, but no, when we talk about racist past, mm -hmm. like I feel like we're talking about, you know, way, way, way back then. In, in 1993, mm -hmm. 
they were finally yes they were finally allowing blacks to live in public housing and there was a full march disagreeing with it 1993 <laughs> yes that's 26 years ago wow not even that long ago no not even so i that's a good point kelly thank you but uh i shared images from that protest on my facebook page and it immediately like went viral it's got like 1600 shares like people was like what fighter and i thought i would never blah 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 and so i just had to talk to her because this is historic to me like i don't even know how to you know make you know an equivalent to this because it is like huge so madison what wow. made you want <clears throat> to organize this march in your home city well you know i'm flattered mm -hmm. by um your, your remarks. Um, one of the big things with me was, you know, I look around in my area in the Golden Triangle, and I've seen so many stand up for what they believe, um, and I was a part of that as well. Um, and one day I was just at my house. I'm just being, I'm being very transparent with you. Mm -hmm. um, and I just, I felt this tug on my heart, and it just said, you know, why is my hometown not doing more? What are we doing? Where are the people that have the voice, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I just, I didn't know anybody. I didn't have any, any resources, really. Um, I just took it upon myself to um, start digging in, and I just started making calls. And um, the more calls I made, the more people reached out to me, and the more resources the more resources I gained. Um, and so, yeah, um, that's, that's really what happened. And I'm so grateful for it. We are grateful for it. Trust mm -hmm. me. Um, did you, was your experience growing up in Viter the same as, you know, what we would think it was like, you know, the stories that we hear about Viter, you staying living there and growing up there. Did you have that same experience? Um, well, I was, I was in public schools until fourth grade and then my mother decided to take me out. So I was homeschooled um, until I graduated in 2015. Mm -hmm. um, the people here, most of the people are pretty genuine and they're for people of color, and, you know, they love everybody. But then you have some, you know, mostly from the elder generation who are um, they're not as cultured. So did you get any pushback or backlash for organizing this march from anybody? Oh, yeah. <laughs> tons, really? Tons, tons. I mean, pretty much... Um, you know, after I did the steps that it took, you know, to get approved, I I posted a flyer on my town's talk, which is it's called Fighter Talk Group. Mm -hmm. um, and immediately, you know, I didn't think that that many people would say a whole lot about it. I just thought, okay, maybe like 20 people would show up or something. Um, immediately, you know, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of comments came in. And, um, you know, there was a lot of supporters, but there was a lot of people saying different things um, like, you know, do you want to, this is a death wish, you know, um, pretty much like, do you want to die? Like, just 
stupid stuff. And then apparently someone from the group, they screenshotted it and they sent it out um, to Twitter, which Twitter is a whole other animal. <laughs> and, um, you know, that's whenever, you know, it really started to become big and everyone started talking about it, um, you know, because people started saying, you know, the sundown, this is the sun downtown, this is, you know, the KKK capital, um, do not go here. If you're a person of color, do not go here. We don't even stop for gas here. Um, and then I had people in my messages and they would tell me, you know, we're going to come, we're going to bring the town down, we're going to do this, we're going to do that. Um, it was it was definitely, it was scary. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. It was scary. Um, but then there were so many people that reached out who were for, for the protest. They said, we're going to stand with you. Um, and I had this piece about it. I, I don't know about some of you, but, you know, I uh, am a religious person. I'm a spiritual person. And I just felt like, you know, my higher, my higher power was um, telling me that everything was going to be okay to just go, go forth and to just continue to um, press towards, you know, the mark that I was trying to reach. Did you feel like you had to... Um go out and convince everybody that this was a, a legit protest because I feel like you and I are guilty. Uh, we talked about it last week and we were like, I don't know how legitimate I think that this is. Yeah. And I'm just wondering if um, knowing right. how it spread so quick, I mean, because I saw it on Twitter, I saw it on Facebook, everything, if you felt you needed to continue to make a post that or, you know, encourage people to still come and that it was legitimate. Um. Honestly, you know, I kind of just felt that way. Um, with as much backlash as I got, you know, I just, I wanted to prove to people, hey, this is real. Um, I want to show you, you know. And so uh, my friend, who helped me organize, her name is Yala Chizan, Um We both reached out on, on social media and we would kind of post as we go. We posted, you know, our poster party uh, that we had at my house you know, of us making signs, and we posted on Snapchat, you know, some things of us, like, going into the town and hanging up posters on telephone poles and just that kind of situation, um, and I just, we kind of did it as we went, you know, because we, we, we really wanted to reach everyone, and we wanted to prove to them, you know, hey, like, this is real, we don't want you to fear, you know, we don't want you to be scared, because with so many people saying the same thing, that it was a setup. And that, you know, some people were even saying, you know, that there was going to be, like, shootings there and just all kinds of just crazy things. Uh, we just wanted to, to show everyone, hey, we are peaceful and we, you know, we are with you. And um, we did our best to, to show people that. And, you know, we did reach a lot of people that way. A lot of people, they said, thank you for, for talking to me. You know, thank you for reaching out to me. Um, I apologize, and you know, that was that was really humbling to, to hear people, you know, apologize and, and say that they they seen me for who who I am and for who she was. Wow, Madison, thank you for your sacrifice. Um, I want to bring in Mackenzie and Leah now, and I want to ask you guys because you two have been more of the two of the more vocal of my 
non-black friends on social media, <laughs> which I appreciate. I love it. You know, every time I see it, I'm like, you know, that's my girls, you know. Um, <laughs> I'll start with, uh, with Mackenzie, then Leah, you can answer after that. I want to know when you saw the police officer, you know, kneeling and ultimately killing George Floyd, what did that do to you? Definitely made me feel sick. Um, honestly, makes my heart race. And um, sadly, I have to say that, like, I couldn't believe it. Um, which I say that because this has been going on for as long as I've been alive. And you know, then some. So uh, I feel like that's why I also am so vocal now um, is because I had to, I realized that I hadn't been paying attention, which is sad. So yeah, that's, that's pretty much. Um. So obviously you can't watch that and um, not feel sick to your stomach. I mean, even hearing you say the words about it, um, again, made me queasy. Um, and I actually heard about it um, and saw things on Twitter about it before I actually saw the video. Um, and when I saw the video, I was obviously disgusted, but... Um, my perspective was a little different. I, um, as sad as it was, was not surprised um, just because I am aware to the police brutality or any type of prejudice against um, any other race besides white in America, but specifically black. Um, and so it was heartbreaking, but I was like, wow, I... I'm not surprised that someone did this because this is how a lot of Americans feel, um, which is devastating and which prompted me to be so vocal about how the ones who don't feel that way and aren't racist, we have to speak up. It's our responsibility. Right. Have you guys, um, with you being so vocal on social media, has any of your friends and or family members opposed you and you had to like check Absolutely. them real fast? Really? Absolutely. Yeah, I definitely um, had to have a conversation with um, a couple or a few, I'm sorry, a few of my family members um, and also people that I you know how you have people on Facebook that you're like, this is my friend on Facebook, but you're not really sure who they are. Yeah, I had to, <laughs> like block, how, I had to block a couple of them. Yeah, actually. like how, <laughs> uh, yeah. how they, you know, like, where do I know this person from? Because yeah. I feel like I just like added a bunch of people like, oh, yeah, sure. Facebook friends. So now I'm realizing that there's people that I, you know, blocking but button has been my <laughs> you know, good friend lately because ha there's no difference in opinion. It's not something to argue about. 
Mm-hmm. I like people that are saying, but it doesn't mm-hmm. like, I won't have it. I won't have, I was having arguments in the beginning. Um, but you know, and people that are my family that I have to live with and have conversations with on the daily, I'm taking the time to educate them. Um, but there's some people that I'm just, you know, they keep, they don't want to learn anything. They think that they know everything. And I'm just, I'm like blocking them is the, you know, what I'm currently on because I want to use my voice on, and on things that matter and help people. And I feel like the people that are opposed and think that it's a difference in opinion that are getting mad for getting blocked are just, you know, I don't have anything to, to offer them at this point. I think our voices are, are better used elsewhere and, you know, can make a, make a difference elsewhere. So I agree. Yeah, I was going to say, I think a, a lot of the people that I've been having conversations with are against the brutality, obviously against the black community, but they're taking it as when we discuss this stuff as far as defunding and mm-hmm. abolishing all of that stuff, a lot of it comes back to, okay, well, think about all the men in the military who have gone and lost their lives for us. And they're not choosing to separate the two. We're not saying (laughs) that we're ignoring or discrediting everything that they've done for us. It's just, they're two different things, in my opinion, the police and the military. Yeah, the military. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the Colin Kaepernick conversation always comes up and it's, you know, well, how dare you? We're, no, the military wasn't mentioned. We're talking specifically about police brutality. And you, yeah. the amount of people I hear, oh, well, what that cop did was horrible. Okay, well, then get on the same page with us. We aren't discrediting everybody. Right. Um, I think right. that's a big thing that is, uh, is becoming an issue with trying to get people on the same page. A note uh, about the military and the milling conversation is this. Um, a couple of things. One, initially Kaepernick, sat on the bench during the anthem. Mm-hmm. Then somebody brought up his attention that might that might be a little disrespectful. So he called a veteran who told mm-hmm. him to kneel. That that would be the you know respectable thing to do is to kneel. That's one. Two, I always, you know, tell people that, you know, white Americans and black Americans have two different viewpoints on America. So Drew Brees would say, you know, my great-grandfather fought in World War II. You know, when I look at that flag, I think that, you know, okay. But black men or people have grandfathers and great-grandfathers who also fought fought in World War II, but then came home and was still treated as second-class citizens. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, or if you go back to the Revolutionary War, where America went to, you know, slaves and was like, hey, you come fight with us, um, and we win, you get your freedom. We won that war, didn't get that freedom. So we have a you know, a different viewpoint on those things, but I think it's, you know, conversations that need to be had. I mean, it's mm-hmm. one thing to say like 
different viewpoints, but also how does the government view our own military in that sense? Think <laughs> of all the homeless veterans exactly. that are at every stoplight mm-hmm. begging. I mean, if but we really, if they really there, expect right? it or respect it, you know, they would take care of them. So right. I don't know. There's, there's just needs to be a discussion on, you know. Yeah. Brent, <laughs> I am, I am all I'm sympathetic to you, Brent, because as a white male in America right now, you must feel yeah. the heat. Like, do you do you do you feel it? Or are you like trying to fight it, or do you just embrace it and realize, you know, what it is? You know, I, I don't really like feel heat from it or anything like that. Uh, and I, not I, I can see how some people would feel that way, but not so much me. I feel like it's more of a responsibility to speak up. Because, I mean, you were asking them how they felt, and me just sitting here, just being quiet, like, my my hands started shaking, my anxiety kind of came up, my heart started racing, because I was so violently outraged at the blatant abuse of power that that man had over George Floyd. You know, there's no, people say what happened before the video, or anything like that, but there's nothing that could have happened before the video that would justify what what went down there. This man is cuffed, face down, two cops with a leg on each leg, and then his knee and the, the side of this man's neck, where the man, I mean, it's just, it's brutal. It's, it's hard to watch. You're watching this man slowly, slowly die while people are on the side begging for this cop to stop, and they're scared to jump in because what happens then? Are they going to get shot? It's just, it's terrible to watch and just to think about, and I couldn't imagine being there. And I couldn't imagine feeling like a black man in America right now. Right. What have you guys, anybody can answer this. What have you guys learned from this um, specific incident beyond? Okay. So you learned like, okay, obviously it's police brutality going on. But as you got deeper into conversations and, you know, seeing things, Mm -hmm. what else have you learned about what goes on in regards to black people in America? Um, I, something that, surprised me I don't know if I'm just I've been checking my white privilege um I think it's important that I acknowledge that and that I am learning things like saying that I'm I was shocked at the video um you know as someone with white privilege I have not experienced police brutality um so I think it's important that I acknowledge that. And something that I learned was that the police force was put in place after slavery was abolished to protect white people and their white property. And this is from Angelica Ross. Um, I learned this. She was on um, a live with uh, Cody Fern, Um, but I researched that afterwards because I was like, I had no idea, and that would make sense. Um, So I, because I was a little nervous with hearing that people wanted to abolish it completely, Mm -hmm. the police force, but then after doing further research, I agree (laughs) that there should be a different, um, you know, there should be public safety measures put in place instead. So that's something that I completely um, 
learned new, fresh lately. So. Anybody else? Well, one thing that I've oh. done is you. I'm sorry. I'll, I'll go ahead and take this one just real quick. Is you go ahead. You go ahead. Go ahead. You know, as like a, for example, as a white man in America, you know, a straight white male, it doesn't really get more privilege than me. And we always talk about what white privilege is, and you know, I think we'll get into that here in a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it'd be easier to explain it later, but talk to your minority friends because obviously we're not of color. We don't experience exactly what other people do. And what you'll find out is might be astonishing. Would you walk into a store, look around, and you see people that kind of clench their purse a little tighter? When you go into like Nordstrom Rack or, I don't know, like Neiman Marcus, you see that there's people slightly like following you around. Or if you go into a corner to look at like a suit, is there someone peeking around the corner at you? You know what I mean? Like, Educate yourself and try to put yourself in, in those shoes and really just be empathetic. And I think that's one thing that I've really taken away from this is just educate yourself because you, I really think that's the, the biggest issue with, with white privilege. I think it's ignorance that people don't understand that they're privileged. They don't get it. They just haven't been in those situations and they really wouldn't understand if they haven't been put in those situations personally. So they really need mm-hmm. to, I, I really implore people to, talk to people and really just learn to put yourself in the situations and learn from other people's experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, I fully agree with that. <laughs> um, just kind of piggybacking off of it. Um, I've had a lot of hard conversations with a lot of people. Um, never, but surprisingly, no one that I am close to or like, even like on social media, I have not had backlash from anything I've posted. People are very silent um, and it's deafening really, truly. Um, so I've seen that. And um, what was I going to say? Oh, um, I think that having conversations with people and listening, um, especially listening to multiple different opinions from um, people of color. Uh, I had a very, very long conversation with a couple of my friends um, and they are all black. And I was just sitting there just listening because it was very interesting from my point of view to think like, okay, what y'all are saying I have to agree with or um, basically it's whites versus blacks. And like, that's what my mindset was. But then every single person who was talking had their own opinion about things. So like one person thought that violence was a good thing. And then one person thought that it wasn't. And so they're all having this conversation and I'm sitting here like, Oh gosh, okay. Well now this is even more confusing because it's not a white versus black thing for some things. It's just like, that's my genuine opinion about it. It has not, it doesn't have to do with my skin color or maybe it does, but I just think of it differently. Um, and so it's made me see the individual as themselves and listen and try not to judge how somebody reacts because they're going to react differently and that's okay because that's their experience. You're never going to know mm-hmm. their experience. Um, and it's just, you cannot, Basically, all of the biases can like just have to be demolished. Um, even 
when you are trying to say, okay, so I have a like a preconceived notion towards this certain group of people, that's the whole issue that this is surrounded by. Um, and so, yeah, I just think it's important to be listening and doing research for yourself because like I've done a lot of research, but whoo, I've got a lot to learn. <laughs> like, wow. And the amount that I research, like, even if I am a freaking master in it, I will never ever know what it feels to be a black person in America. And so just always reminding yourself to listen to other people because you really don't know where they've been. I think that was beautifully put. (laughs) I think she put that beautifully. I mean, like, thinking about it, just growing up and going to school, like, how many of us have had or felt someone make broad generalizations or assumption about us as an individual without even knowing us? Think about in school or doing an extracurricular activity or like even think about like at work and how uncomfortable that makes you feel like that feeling right. of uncertainty. And then, you know, people of color experience this on a daily basis, but there's nowhere that they can go to get away from it. You know, if you're feeling that at school, you can go home and get away from it. If you're feeling it at work, you can get another job. If you're black in America, you can't go anywhere you else. Because systemic racism is everywhere. You can't get away from it, and it's no longer okay to be quiet. Yeah. That's just, I just feel like it's not, not okay not to talk about it anymore and that we have to do something about it because it's, it's not okay to feel uncomfortable about something that you can't control. You know, you're, you didn't choose your parents. You didn't choose the color of your skin. You don't choose the color of your eyes. You don't choose the way that your hair is. You don't choose any of those things. You're born that way, and there's nothing that you can do about it. And the fact that you are treated differently or you feel differently about it or people look at you differently about something that you have no control over without even knowing your name. Mm-hmm. It's unacceptable. And I just, I can't believe that this is a country that we live in right now, that this is a state of the country of the free world of the leader of the world. And to stand by and just condone the way that our country is treating its own citizens is completely unacceptable. We have to speak out and we need change now. I just, this is something I'm super passionate about. And when I think about it, I just start fuming. Man, I feel I feel it. I feel your passion. I feel it, and it's appreciated for sure. Um, on the topic of privilege, Kelly actually had a story where she, I think she came to a realization of you know that she had it, and she told she alluded to it last podcast, but she didn't really get into the full details of it. So I'll let her go ahead and tell the story. Oh yeah. So um, I guess maybe the first. You know, I have a lot of friends who are in the LGBT community. You know, I have a lot of people who are in the black community. Mm -hmm. And I, for me, especially with this friend in the story that I'm going to tell, I've known her for years. Like, that is my family. And for me, nobody is ever going to speak on my family Mm -hmm. or treat them any different way, you know. So we had gone to a bar downtown. I really don't like going downtown anyways just because I stuff like this. But her boyfriend came down. And all of his came friend. All of his friends came down. All of them uh, were black, and so it was just me and Stephanie and all of them. We go to this first bar. It's an amazing time. No issues whatsoever. We're having some drinks. We're having some fun. So for me, none of the stuff that's about to happen is on my mind. You know. Right. So we go to the next bar, and um, the guys are dressed to the nines. My friend, if you've ever met her, looks amazing at all times. Um, they're wearing the tight 
not tight, but the like straight leg jeans, but they have holes in them. But it's tucked into Chelsea boots. They got the nice buttoned up top. They look amazing. So we go up to this line and um, they won't let, won't let the guys in. And they're trying to say, oh, it's because of your rib jeans. So I'm not thinking in a, anything of it. Super oblivious. So we start walking away. And this white guy comes up and he's saying, no, you know, that's that's not right. Because they just let some guys in, had some night or some dirty sneakers on, you know. And so then it was like, hmm, maybe I should start paying attention because I was oblivious at the moment. So we go to the next bar. And I was in line before everybody else. So me and Stephanie get in. And I'm standing in the back, and I'm waiting for a bit, and my friends never come in. Mm-hmm. So I go to the front, and they're standing outside. I was like, hey, what's the what's the deal? And she says, they won't let us in. So immediately, it was like my blood was boiling. So I went to the bouncer, and the bouncer, there was a sheriff standing behind him. And I went up to the bouncer, and I was like, what's the issue? I'm not understanding why they can't get in. Mm. Oh, it's the holes in the jeans. And I was like, well, that's weird because you just let a guy in with dirty sneakers that have holes in them. So I'm (laughs) not understanding. So then he's, I don't know if the cop had ever listened to the conversation before, but he walks up to me with his hands on his gun in his belt or like the belt loop that they have, I don't know, holster, whichever. He comes up and like the mannerism he had towards me was so unnecessary. And so I go, why are you so aggressive? And the bouncer's like, oh, I'm not aggressive. I said, I'm not speaking to you. I'm speaking to him. Like, you were never a part of our conversation. Him and I are just speaking. So why are you going to approach a situation already with hands on your gun? Um. So we're going back and forth. We're going back and forth. And I was like, it's not right. But the thing that I realized in that instance is, like, if my friends, if the roles were reversed and they did that, mm-hmm. there's no telling what would have happened to them. Whereas me, knowing I have right white privilege I could speak to them that way and nothing would happen, Mm -hmm. you know, and the way that I spoke to that cop, I surely should have been arrested because at that point I was like, this is ridiculous. You're not going to approach me and my friends aggressive when we're just having a conversation. Educate me on why a legitimate reason Mm -hmm. why you are not letting them in because holes in the jeans. It's fashion, you know, like that's the and style. I've already seen them let people in with similar outfits. Yes, with yeah. outfits that I'm like, how are you going to say that that's acceptable, but they're over here in holes in the jeans? Mm-hmm. You're kidding me. So um, it's about, for me, I was like, wow, this stuff could have been going on all along. And it took somebody to say like, hey, no, this isn't right. You need to be looking at the rest of the people that they're letting in that mm-hmm. I was like, hmm, well, I'm going to test it out in the next bar. And sure enough, it happened again. And my friends just stood there. They didn't say anything. They didn't argue. They they didn't even call to say, like, hey, we're not let in. They were just going to stand outside and wait. Mm-hmm. And that absolutely disgusts me. And I will never, I don't, I mean, and those bars continue to have the same. Especially in Midtown. Yes, mm-hmm. in Washington, because yeah. this was in Washington. Mm-hmm. Those bars have that reputation. And it's like, why are we continuing to give attention to places like that? It's absolutely disgusting. Right. And I had I a similar, I'm sorry, I had a similar um experience but from the other side so i had a my best friend past best friend he was white and you know a cop pulled us over one day i guess he was speeding or something and the way he spoke (laughs) to the cop and i was just sitting there like what are you doing like do not speak to this man like this like but you know the cop just you know went back and forth with him and that was the end of it but you know from coming uh being raised in a black household, that's like, 
you know, you might have this conversation with your parents before, like the birds and the bees conversation is that when somebody pulls you over, you know, you need to do yeah, this. It's yes, yeah. sir. Yes, ma'am. You know, don't have your license and registration somewhere where you don't have to, you know, reach in the glove compartment or lift anything up. Just put, you know, we, so many procedures that we have, you know, to get prepared for that stop. And when I heard him speak like that, I was like, wow. Yeah, you can go whoever was trying to jump in. Um, I was just saying that that was interesting conversation that I was having with quote-unquote friends on Facebook is mm-hmm. telling people not to shop at certain businesses mm-hmm. when we have the receipts for them being racist and people trying to say, oh, to not, you know, use violence against violence, that that was a form of hate telling people not to shop at these businesses and it and like kelly was saying why are we still continuing to give business to people in places that we know that this is going on right like that's part of putting the money like where your mouth is is okay we're you know saying that these things are wrong that things need to change and that's something that we have the ability to change is to stop giving them those places our money and our time and then, you know, they will disappear. And that shows them that how they were handling their business is wrong. So I thought it was insane that I was losing, you know, friends and people were saying, well, you can't fight hate with hate. And I'm like, that's not what we're doing. We're calling out people for what they are. Right. And they need to be dismantled, these places. And they need to educate themselves and so i just it's crazy to me the the backlash that people have about what's going on it's just not a difference in opinion to me and i don't even feel like it's fighting hate with hate you know mm-hmm. and i feel like a lot of people who say that are the types that are saying these protests aren't working <laughs> look at everything yes, that has changed within the i mean last week was exhausting within two weeks with it yeah mm-hmm. There is mm-hmm. so much that has been changed, and that's because there was mm-hmm. attention put onto it, and there was mm-hmm. people standing up and doing something for them. Like I feel like people do not learn until they lose, and mm-hmm. that yeah. company needs to lose all the people who come to the bar and drink every night. Like it really isn't that hard, and that's why it's so frustrating to me. Is like it's not like we're going out, and you know, I, I don't understand the hate versus hate when people say that because it's. If anything, it's just you should not be hateful. <laughs> right. We want you to change yeah, right. being mm-hmm. hateful. So, I'm glad McKen- you, you and Kelly, Mackenzie and Kelly brought up uh, the not supporting businesses that have, you know, racist tendencies. Because I want you to guys to chime in on this, including Madison, you can jump in too. Is, okay, all five of you acknowledged your white privilege. In what concrete ways do you plan on using your privilege for good. I feel like I keep uh, jumping in, but <laughs> this there was like silence. So yeah. Um, I know one of the things um, that I want to do is pay more attention. If, you know, people are, if black people are, you know, getting pulled over in front of me or, there's people that are waiting outside of a bar or 
just anything that I'm paying attention because, you know, as a woman, I'm paying attention to my own safety constantly mm-hmm. when I'm out in public. I'm My eyes and ears are just always open, but I'm thinking about my own safety. And I think it's important that I also pay attention to others' safety, to black people's safety. And also the place that I work, um, I reached out to them. I reached out to the HR department and had a conversation with the VP of HR and the VP of marketing. And I think that's important as someone with white privilege to make sure that we're holding our businesses accountable and to not be scared about whether or not we're going to be fired or, you know, well, I don't want to put my job in jeopardy or have people not like me, whatever that narrative is, I think it's important to speak up and make sure that we're not supporting racist businesses or working for racist businesses and holding our friends and family accountable, especially our white friends and family, holding them accountable and shining a light in their face like, hey, you cannot ignore this anymore. And yeah, those are the things that I'm focused on right now. I, uh, I agree. I think another thing that we can do is just use our platform, uh, you know, whether it's Facebook, whether it's Twitter, whether it's Instagram, <clears throat> whether it's going out and being a voice at these protests. I really think it's just speaking up and not being quiet and mm-hmm. educating others that might not understand what white privilege is. I really think white privilege is just ignorance to the fact that they have it. Mm. Uh, if you have, like, I'd love to, you know, give my definition of what I think white privilege is. You know, I, like we said earlier, you know, people of color, they don't get to choose the color, the skin they're in, and there's no way for, there's nowhere for them to go to get away from the systemic racism. How many women experience sexist behaviors, you know, whether they're at work or just going out for a run, how many of them can really get away with that or get away from that? Mm-hmm. No one, because there's nowhere that you can't really, there's nowhere in this country that you don't see it. There's nowhere in this country that women aren't sexualized. How many people in the LGBTQ community are tired of the treatment that they get for being gay or looked at, looked at differently? Probably all of them, but they can't just up and change the sexuality, and there's no reason that they should have to. Do people of color want to get back at the white community as a whole? Probably not. But if you did ask people of color how many of them want to be treated equally, you know, they want fair treatment under the law, I promise you 100% of them would say yes. They don't want to get back. They don't want to be better. They want to be equal. So my point in bringing this up is I didn't understand that I had the white privilege until one of my good friends really put all of it into perspective for me, that I'm not scared when I get pulled over, you know, that I don't see people clenching their purses when I'm in the store, that I know if I talk to a cop, there's a good likelihood that I'm going to go home safe and sound. Now, I really think that it's okay not to understand this, and I think it's okay not to feel the way that other people feel who are minorities or in these different groups, but that in itself, not understanding and feeling that it's okay to just go about your life and be oblivious to the fact of what's around you. I really think that that's exactly what white privilege is. It's right. the ability, I, I think it's the ability to live your life without fear, without uncertainty. 
Mm-hmm. But at this point, I think choosing not to educate yourself, choosing not to listen to others and not to learn, I don't think that's acceptable anymore. If anyone is looking for something like a great resource, just go on YouTube and type in Jane Elliott. Yes. Uh, my blue eye, green eye, brown eye. She did a show on yeah. Oprah Winfrey, an experiment that was like 30 minutes long in 1992, mm-hmm. 27 years ago. And it's still true to this day where she discriminated people based on the color of their eyes. Brown people were, or brown-eyed uh, people were given donuts and let in the show early, where green-eyed people were forced to wear collars and blue-eyed people were forced to do something else. And then just a few minutes after this mild inconvenience at a place that all these people chose to be at, they started to really just lose their mind. <laughs> Imagine being put in that situation for further real life, and it's something that you have no control over. So I think that the best thing for us to do is to use your platform to speak, use your platform to educate others. And to really put your own life in perspective, because racism is real. You know, this isn't, this can't be ignored anymore. The, the, the video that we saw, of, you know, that officer on, on George Floyd, he knew what he was doing. You could see it in his eyes. There was hate in his eyes. At this point, it's unacceptable to ignore it. Yeah, and, that, that's, and it was, really it was always... I just wanted to point out it's it was always unacceptable mm. and but now we you know we have social media and cameras where people mm-hmm. you know are being held accountable for their actions but it was always wrong. Right. Leah and Maddie? Mm-hmm. Um, um I was going to say oh sorry. <laughs> no, go ahead. Good. Okay. Um I was going to say yes um I agree with the last statement um about social media um it has these are issues that have been going on (laughs) and um social media has done wonders to uh, make people aware and just like with the me too movement and like things like that like they're happening but they're being um brought to the surface now for people to see like oh okay, I had no idea this was happening. It's not, oh, wow, I can't believe this is happening again. Like, it hasn't been happening all these past years. Why isn't it happening again? No, it has been happening all these past years. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just being brought to the surface. Um, and so I have um, I have really high hopes about it because um, of the amount of information that you can get from laying in your bed on your phone, just scrolling. Um, right. It You just have to make up your mind whether you want to do that or not. Um, that's what I was going to say about that. But to answer your question, Kyrie, um, I think it's really important that we look um, at who we surround ourselves with. Um, I, I'm not going to get really into it, but... Um, <laughs> I go to an HBCU, Historically Black College University, and I'm super proud of it. I love it. Um, but I basically was felt very convicted that I needed to go there because um, I didn't. I wasn't very close with a lot of Black people, and I really wanted to be an advocate for social justice. But how am I supposed to do that when I know nothing about the people or barely know any and like feel comfortable to have those conversations so um just my experience at southern university has been incredible and very eye-opening because 
for the first time in my life, I'm the minority. Um, and I get those looks from people like, what is she doing here? That black people get everywhere. Um, and so it's just given me a slight glimpse into seeing um, the day-to-day what um, black people go through. And so just putting, like, purposefully setting yourself in situations where you are uncomfortable, but you know you're going to learn from it. Um, being comfortable and complacent is doesn't value, from, you don't value from it. Um, no change is going to come from it. And um, so continuing to be conscious about who you're hanging out with, the conversations that you're having and things like that, and continuing to want to educate yourself and um, want to be empathetic, as empathetic as you can by trying to place yourself in a similar situation. In no way am, am I saying that you will ever know, I will never know, or white people will never know, but it's a start. Right. Maddie? That's beautifully said. Um, piggybacking off of y'all, um, you know, back to the, the original question, you know, how can people use their white privilege, you know, um, the, the proper way? Mm-hmm. Um, there are so many things that you can do to, to, you know, use your platform the right way. You can, you can run or be on the city hall board. You can, you can get involved with census. You can, you know, make sure that you're voting. Um, get involved with your justice system. You know, educate yourself and um, and just run to be on council. You know, do things. Take action. Um, use your white privilege to to take action and and to get more involved and 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 to um, a word. Pretty much just utilize your resources because we have um, we have a voice and I don't know I'm overwhelmed by some of the things that y'all are saying right now and and just thinking of thinking about all of this and just knowing that this is this is so real and and we're here right now on this podcast mm-hmm. um, doing this right now it's just it, it's, it's crazy. So the world that we live in, people have to speak out and use their voice. Use your platform and, and, and take action and be aware of your surroundings. Just like everything that y'all are saying, I'm just piggybacking on what y'all are saying. Um, be aware. Yeah. Thank you for that, Madison. Kelly, do you have any closing remarks? My thing is just essentially what everybody else is saying a big thing is education yes we educate live educate yes. Age. yes and <laughs> you know i have friends who should have spoken up and i brought it to their attention and i don't want to ever bring it up as an attack but it's you know why haven't you said anything mm-hmm. what are your thoughts do you need somebody to tell you different facts about what's going on for you to understand and it's okay I feel like for you to say I don't know enough information for me to speak on Mm -hmm. because that's the first step to educating yourself to be able to speak on it later on but normalize that yes and and being able Mm -hmm. to change your opinion like it's it's okay to say you know what the way that I was thinking was wrong but I want to change that Mm -hmm. 
And that's a big thing that I've had to do this week is I'm not going to let my friends not be educated on this. You're going, I need you to be on the forefront with me of making a progression. And I know I had texted you about this and I don't want to be overly optimistic, but this genuinely feels like the first time in the entire time that I've been alive that I genuinely feel like change is being made. Mm-hmm. And I was talking to my sister-in-law about it yesterday. And like, we are living almost in a civil rights movement. Yeah, we're making why, yeah why not be on the right side of history this mm-hmm. time? You learned in, the, in history, you read the books mm-hmm. of everything. And I know people didn't sit there and not be uncomfortable about what they were reading. This is your turn now to be on the right side right. of it. Exactly. I want to you know, say I that. Think, I think, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. <laughs> I just, I feel like that we need to normalize changing our opinions mm-hmm. when new information is, is surfaced. Right. I agree. I just want to say that I am proud and appreciative of all you guys, Madison, for, you know, making a sacrifice and getting out there and doing something that nobody thought could ever be done in the history of the earth. Mackenzie, um, for having the courage to go to your higher ups at your job and, and make your voice heard about issues that don't even really affect you. Leah, for going to an HBCU, trying to get closer to the feeling that black people feel in America. Brent, for, you know, acknowledging your white privilege and, and, and saying that you're going to use it to better things in the future. And Kelly, you know, you know how I feel about you. You're my, you're my best friend. You know, you always been down. That's why you're my co-host. But um, Mm -hmm. I want to close with this. Fannie Lou Hamer has a quote, one of my favorite quotes. She says, nobody's free until everybody's free. It's not enough for black people to speak on speak on black issues, but be quiet when our Mexican brother has a problem. It's not enough for, you know, white women be feminists, but be quiet when something's going on with black women. It's not enough for. You know, gay people to speak on this issue, but be quiet when it's this issue. We all have to speak up because, like the quote says, nobody's free until everybody's free. And I wanted you guys to come on here because I feel like one of the only ways or the main way that we will progress in this country is with white people having conversations with other white people. And I'm appreciative for all you guys. You guys are doing more than you know. Um, Keep it up. And hopefully, well, not hopefully, I know you will instill all these things when you eventually have children of your own, which is going to further and further and further progress down the line. So, guys, remember, nobody's free until everybody's free. That's it for episode 48 of the All That Podcast.